Hi, thank you for joining us this morning. I wonder what home's like for you, or more importantly, what's your family like? That word means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Your family may be you and your dog, or your cat, or cats, depends how many you have. Or maybe it's you and your close friend. What what does family mean to you? And how is God at the centre of your family? We're about to start a brand new series because at the moment, families are under incredible pressure. If you in your home have felt the, the pressure and the weight of the world at the moment, maybe you're feeling anxiety, maybe you're feeling fear, maybe there's been a breakdown and you know that you're not acting the way you normally do, but you don't know why. If you're finding that your spiritual rituals, your spiritual disciplines have maybe started to slide away, then this series and today's message is for you. We're starting a brand new series called Our Family Tree because every single one of us has a family tree. Maybe you've never had kids. Maybe you've never gotten married. Maybe you don't have your partner with you now. But that's okay because you have parents and you've had parents and you've had grandparents and you're a part of something bigger, which is your family tree. But also we have a spiritual family the church, the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in the faith. And so each and every one of us is part of a family, both spiritually, also physically. And this series is going through some of the elements that make up family, why we exist, what's our purpose, what's our role, how how do we make sure that we're functioning the way God created us to function, but also make sure that just a bit of a checkup in a time where it's really easy to lose some of the foundations of our faith. As a church, we believe that family is so important and we are a family-based church that seeks to reach communities beyond our own. So how does it, as families, do we reach other family members, our brothers and sisters that, that don't know who Jesus is? Today's message is around our purpose. What is the purpose of family? Before we dive in, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that as we open up Scripture that we would be able to see what the purpose for family is within the Bible, but also within our homes and within our church. May our hearts be open to receive your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. It was a few weekends ago where I got to catch up with some extended family. Now, the little disclaimer is that we are in regional Victoria and we're not in lockdown, which means we are able to catch up with some other people and leave our homes for what is wise events and we went out of town to a country property where there was no one else around and while we were there there was this moment and the moment looked a little bit like this there was myself and my brother and there were motorbikes there was three things that were important about this story Um, what took place is is my brother Matthew and I were, were flying down the side of this paddock the first thing was the motorbikes that we were riding were teenagers motorbikes so Here's fully grown adults on small bikes, which looked hilarious, but we didn't care. The second thing about the story is we were going way too fast. Whatever the limit of these bikes were, we were at heaps of fun. And the third thing was it was just heaps of fun. It was ridiculous, like how much fun it was. So fun that when we'd finished screaming up the side of this paddock, that as we got off the bikes, I literally had tears. And I'm going to say it was because of the wind. Um, when you ride fast, the wind gets in your eyes and you, they 
Anyway, but the tears had rolled down the side of my face, not down, but backwards because of the wind, the speed, and were going down my shirt. There were so many tears because of how quick we were going. We're going to go with that. But if I'm honest, there was also this childlike, giddy joy that was also within me that was just having such a great time. You know, I've, been, I've ridden motorbikes all my teenage life um, and, and some of my adult life, and there'd been a gap um, since having a wife and kids that haven't been on a motorbike. So motorbikes, though, weren't a huge thing. They were good fun, and I did go riding by myself that day for a little bit, but there was something about having that moment with my brother that just added so much more to the experience. You see, I believe that each and every one of us just desires that giddy, childlike joy of journeying through life with somebody that we deeply care about, a brother, a sister. It could be biological, but it could be in the faith. It could be a brother and sister in Christ, just church, family, doing life together and having this life to the full, enjoying the world that God has created for us. So, so what is the purpose of family? How do we get these moments of joy in life that would cause tears to stream down our face backwards, um, depending how quick you're going through life? That didn't work. That analogy didn't work, but you get what I mean. <laughs> Today we are going to be looking at, um, at Scripture fairly heavily, and we're, we're starting in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And we're not going to have time to pull apart Genesis totally because we know that Genesis is just so rich and so packed. But we are going to look at humanity, male and female, and how we're created and what our purpose is. And in that, in Genesis 1, we're looking at what is the the summary of creation. And as I said, we're focusing on male and female. In in Genesis 2, we look at what is the, the, the sequence of creation, what is the order that male and female were made and in the creation narrative. But also in Genesis 3, we look at the separation from us and God. So there's the summary, the sequence, and the separation, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And Genesis 1, what we see, and we, we head towards the end of Genesis 1, where, where God has created the world and everything in it, and then he creates humanity. And God says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and of all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now in this, we see that the God's not calling himself I. He does in Genesis. He says, I made, I made him, like made Adam, made the first man. But in this passage, and very intentionally, he changes things around. And he says, let us make mankind in our image. What is he talking about? Well, he's, he's already saying, hey, when you look at God, there is more than just one narrow perspective of God. There is a trinity, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even in the creation of the world, there are the three. And said, in us, in the three in one, in the spirit that, that, that dwells within humanity, where there's the Father, with the Father's love and the plans, where the, the Jesus who we can relate to, who walked on this earth, who make up the one God, these three parts, well, there's more to this humanity than just a guy or just a girl. There is something in us, us being made, and when two become one, and when we journey in community that makes the whole the same as God is whole, three in one. Let's make mankind in our image so that they, 
male and female, they, humanity, they, mankind, may rule over. In this, we also start to see, and we don't have time to pull apart the entirety of Genesis 1, but the idea of there is a plan for us, there is a purpose for God's creation through the creation process where we are here to rule. We're all over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock. We're here to care for God's creation, to steward, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Genesis 2 goes on then and says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. His job was to work the garden, to care for what he'd been given, what he'd been put in charge of. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And we know that the the simpler version of this, which we see in the New Testament, is the wages of sin is death. If you break my commandment, if you eat from this tree, you will die. A loving God, I don't want you to die, so don't eat from this tree. I want you to live. I want you to have life and life to the full. I want you to be able to walk with me in the garden always. So don't do this. There is a consequence. Don't do it. I command you. Of course, we have free will, and we'll get to that a little bit later as well. Then the Lord God says, after saying everything was so good, he created the animals, it was good. He created the the birds, it was good. He created the, the land, it was good. Then he created man, and he was very good. And the first time God says something is not good is in Genesis 2.18. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone, so I will make a suitable helper. Now, it's really important that we understand some of the original language here because it helps us understand what that relationship looks like. It'd be easy to read this, and the word helper works. It's It's a good translation of the original word. The original word is azer, um... It's, it's spelt E-Z-E-R, but it's pronounced Azer, even with an Aussie accent. But the, the word helpers, we would read that, and with an Aussie culture in sort of Australian tradition that we've grown up with, it would be more like, well, the man's working, and he goes, hey, love, go get us a cup of tea. That sort of helper, that sort of the guy's got it all in control, and the girl comes to help. That's often the way that this is read. But the Azer word, that, that, that Hebrew word is, has a different meaning to that. Yes, help is what the word is, but it's found 21 times in the Old Testament only. It's not in the New Testament. And it's the word that is used when God's people cry out in a place of deep suffering and desperation. And, and they were enslaved in Egypt and they cry out, Azer, we are going to die if you don't help us. We've got nothing. We are destined for death. We are below, like, we are not going to survive if we don't, and they cry out for help. So the difference is, it's not Adam working in the garden saying, hey, get us a cup of tea. It's Adam face down weeping in the garden going, I'm going to die. There's something I'm not complete. I don't know how to do this on my own. And so God makes a suitable helper for him, but not straight away. Verse 19, now God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And he named whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the sky and all of the wild animals. Now there's something 
about a name and having the authority and power to name something that, that makes a deeper commitment to whatever that is. For example, we recently got a puppy, which if you've been watching, I think, the foyer um, show, which starts before the service, you would have seen me dive across stage trying to catch the puppy a couple of months ago. And, and when we got this puppy, we sat around as a family trying to think of what are we going to name this animal? And Yvette and I, like, we, we had some weight in the conversation as parents, but, but if I'm honest, the, the names that, that my son's sitting in, in the church pointing to himself, um, and when, when the naming process was taking place, it was a family decision because it's the family dog. It wasn't that one member got to name it. We did it together because the dog belongs to us. Uh, when the dog does something wrong, it's on us. When we, we want the dog to do something, it's up to us to care for, to feed, to, to clean up, to, to train this animal because it's our dog. There's an ownership and a responsibility. Now, it's all based on love. We love the dog, even when we're cleaning up after. We love the dog. It's our dog. How much more so would a parent love a child? And I remember before the, the days of fast internet, um, Yvette and I, when we were starting our family, would sit in bed with these books next to our bed with names in it and what they meant and what was behind it. And we would name our children based on what in these, in, is in these books. And, and we would pray about it and we'd give it to God. And it's a hard task because when you name your children, it's their name for life. You, you not only name them, but they are your kids. You created them. In your image, you have created something with your DNA that now you're going to name, and by naming it, it's going to stick for life. This is powerful, powerful stuff. Now, you love your children. You would die for your children. The family dog, she's a good dog, but my children, I would give my life in a heartbeat for my kids. There is something so deep about that relationship that comes not only from naming but from being unified and being a part of one another. And so man, in his job to steward the world, to care for things, is given the responsibility of naming the animals. Now that could be, it's not a dictatorship, this is a loving relationship. This is an ownership, this is a responsibility based on love. Adam goes and does this, and then in Genesis 2, 20, but Adam for no suitable helper was found, so the Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man. Then he brought her to him. And the man said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And he looked at her and goes, whoa, man. I just had to go there. It's so cheesy. It's so bad. But you've you got to grab them when they're there. Um, <laughs> that's not what the Bible says. But she shall be called woman because she's taken out a man. You see, <laughs> in, this, in this part of Scripture, we see that, that much like parents have a child that they love, from man, woman was made. And there is a deep, I will give my life for the thing that I've created. I will name and own and cherish what I've created. There is a responsibility to care for, to love and protect. 
in a godly manner, in a godly nature. Husbands, love your wives as Jesus Christ loved the church so much that he gave his life for it. This is not a a harsh dictatorship. This is a, a pure based on love, a deep DNA, part of me love that Adam gets his suitable helper so that he won't die, so that he could live. And she'll be called woman. And we see that this is the the beginning of what we see as family. Now, throughout Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, there's an interchange of Adam and man and Eve towards the end and woman and wife, Adam and his wife as God walks with them both. And we see that there's this beautiful picture that they are unashamed of who they are because their identity is the way God created them. In God's image, they are created. And there's lots of different versions of understanding what it is to be created in God's image. But the one that I probably like personally the most, I said this is not exclusive and this is probably Tim's opinion, but I love the idea that as husband and wife, as parents come together, they can create something that has a soul that will last for eternity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, husband, wife, child, this idea of a soul that can last for eternity is is being created in God's image. It's something beautiful, something amazing, something that no other animal, no other creature on the earth can do. And in Genesis 1, we see that then there's an instruction to Adam and Eve to go forth and multiply. Go forth and multiply. Now, there's different ways you can read that too, depending on your understanding of the original words in the text. You could see that as God saying to Adam and Eve, what I want you to do is have lots of babies, raise an army and go and conquer the world. However, that's not what Scripture feels like when you read it from start to finish. The all of scripture is joined together. The all of scripture is one story of a loving God that even though we chose not to obey, wants to bring us back into relationship with him based on love. And so that idea of having lots of kids and raising armies doesn't fit. The idea of multiplying is that, you know what, God has created a way for us to be in community. Adam cried out for help so much that he couldn't do it alone, so he longed to have a life partner. We long for community. And so to multiply is to multiply that community. Yes, there's an aspect of having family and kids, absolutely. But there's more to it. And the idea of subduing the earth, this word subdue, really, once again, it works, but it needs some understanding and explanation because subdue almost has a negative understanding in our culture today where the idea of subdue is actually... To, to create something, to keep something the way God designed it to be. We've got some shrubs out the front of our house that when we first turned up to our house, when we first bought it, they had grown what was supposed to be a, a little shrub, had grown so large that it, it wasn't just a, a large shrub, it was a, a tree. and went to the top of our roof and was blocking one of the front windows. You couldn't actually see out the window because of the, this shrub that had overgrown so much it grown past the whole veranda and was now up to the roof. If we had left that tree to continue growing, it is not designed to hold the weight of those branches. The branches are too big and they would have broken off and destroyed the tree. It would have killed it. 
So we subdued the tree by pruning it back, pruning it back to the way that it was intended to be. We didn't kill it, create the army. We didn't kill it, we subdued it so that it's now a healthier tree, bush, whatever that thing is. And that's what we're designed to do, to go and subdue, to create the world and make sure we're looking after it in the way that God intended it to be. What happened then in Genesis 3 shows that we all mess up. While we're equal in God's eyes, male and female, he created them. In our image, we're created in the image of God as equals, as helpers. And the one thing I just, just want to just backtrack a little bit, when, we, when we're made from the side, there's something about that as well. When, when the rib was taken from Adam, it's the protective part of the heart. It's the protective part of your ribs where you breathe, where you get life. And from the thing that gives you life, that, that openness, that vulnerability to do life along your, from your side is taken your life partner. And in that, you're meant to, when two become one, that the verse goes on at the end of um, Genesis chapter 2, therefore husbands will leave their, their, uh, their parents and the two will be joined because from the rib, Eve was made woman and when the two become back together, the ribs are complete. The two become one and they are joined as one. The heart's beating with the protection of the rib. The heart's beating as one, unified, equal, not being alone anymore. We are designed to be in community. We are designed a certain way for a certain purpose and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. However, Adam was given a commandment. Don't eat from that tree. The wages of sin is death. Otherwise, you will surely die. Genesis 3, we see that there's the separation from God. Adam and Eve are able to walk in the garden with God the way it was intended to be. But the serpent comes along, the snake, the great deceiver, and tempts Eve and says, if you eat from this tree, like, you'll be just like God. Isn't that the goal? To be more like God? Isn't that what we strive to do, even as Christians, to be more like Jesus? Isn't that the goal? To try and do that? You know, make that choice. Don't worry about what he said. Do that. Eve succumbs to the temptations and eats from the fruit, offers it to Adam. Adam eats from the fruit. What happens then is God is walking in the garden going, well, where are they? We walk together all the time and they're all of a sudden aware of their faults. They're aware of their, their nakedness and their hiding. And God goes to Adam, I commanded you. God's heart is breaking in this moment. It's not an anger. It's, it's a broken heart. I commanded you not to eat from that tree. What does Adam do? Adam blames his wife. It's her fault. She made me... Do it. He didn't own up and said, yeah, it's my fault, my bad, blame me. He's like, nah, she did it, she did it. God goes to Eve, why did you? She goes, oh, the snake, the snake made me do it. God goes to the snake, and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. I know. It's really great having some people here, because people laugh at my bad jokes this morning. I don't know if it's really laughter, if not sympathy. But we see that from the very origin, if, you've have, if you, in your household there's arguments or there's the blame game, we know that it's not right. But from the very origin, I love Scripture because it says, hey, this is humanity. We mess up. Adam messed up. Eve messed up. 
The thing is that, that Adam was called to be the head of the family because Adam was given the commandment. He was made first, the sequence. The spiritual head to care for his family. And I say, guys, it's actually up to us. We are made equal. It's not about ability. If it comes down to ability, I've got to say, if you were to look at our home and see who's got the greatest ability, my wife wins every time. If, I don't know how single parents do it, and if you are watching this and you're a single parent, I just want to say, you are my hero. I seriously don't know how you do it. If I was in charge, we'd all be dead. I just don't know. I just Honestly, you are incredible how you do that. You know, single mums, like you have both roles. You are both the spiritual head of your family, but also the, the, the mother of your children. And that's a huge task. And this is why the body of Christ, the church family, is so important. Because in that, you get the opportunity to, to have male influences if you're a single mum in the lives of your children. And I want to say our youth ministry and our kids ministry are doing such an incredible job you know, both online and with the pastoral care sort of space with their Zoom sessions to be able to connect with your kids and make sure that there's loving, godly role models that are speaking into both your, your sons and daughters into that space. And it's so important that we keep doing that as the body of Christ, as the family in different spaces. This is why it works when we work together in community. Also, I want to say, guys, you know, single dads, it's the same. It's so important that, that your daughters and that your sons have a feminine you know, role model in their lives too, likewise. And it's a huge job. And I do want to say that once again, you know, we've been saying it all the way along, let us know we're here to help. And so we see at the very end of the Genesis passages of Genesis 1, 2 and 3, Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden because they have sinned, because they have separated their relationship with God the way that it was. And God said, though, that your job is to go and multiply and subdue the earth. Your role hasn't changed just because you've broken the relationship. The, The way that God designed us hasn't changed just because of the sin. We still have the same purpose for our families, for our community, to go and spread and make sure we subdue the earth in a positive way. It's interesting that the words that Jesus said echoed the words of his father in Genesis. The last words we read in in Matthew are the same words that God said to the very first people. The last words Jesus said to his chosen people, Matthew written to the Jews, is the same words that we see written to Adam and Eve in Genesis. For Jesus says, go, go and multiply. What does he say? Go and make disciples of all nations. Equality. I don't care if you're male or female, if you're slave or free, Jew or Gentile, go into all the world and create disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are made in God's image, and in God's image we are equal, but we have a role to go forth and multiply, to share the good news. And we're called to subdue, to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded with you. And surely I will be with you to the end of the day. I love that Matthew's, the words of the book of Matthew that that conclude that, that, that incredible book, the gospel of Matthew where we read about Jesus, finishes and actually closes this understanding of the separation we see in Genesis 3. 
In Genesis 3, we're not walking with God. We're not able to walk with him because of the separation of sin, but we're called to to still go forth and multiply. In Matthew, we go forth, but what are we multiplying? We're multiplying the community that God has called us to multiply. We're making disciples. We're subduing them by teaching them to obey the way God called us to live. And once again, surely he is with us, the separation from God in Genesis, the, the reuniting with God through the, the Matthew 26, uh, 28, when they come back together, and surely I am with you to the end of the age. What is the purpose for our family? The purpose of our homes? What is the purpose of our church? The, the, the reason we exist is simple. It's to be a community, to go and and teach the good news that a loving God longs to have a relationship with us and will have a relationship with us. We're called to subdue this world and to show it what love looks like. And in doing so, Jesus will be with us to the end of the age. It's a beautiful story. It doesn't matter if you're never married. It doesn't matter if you don't have kids doesn't matter if you're a grandparent. doesn't matter if you're a single parent. doesn't matter if you're, you've got a, a fantastic family. doesn't matter if your family's not working as harmonious as what it once was. We see that the purpose for family was always in God's design, God's plan, to work together in community, to forward his kingdom, his creation, his message of love, so that we could be reconciled back into the way that he designed it always to be. I have a challenge for us this week. The challenge is a different verse to what we've been reading, but a challenge that that echoes the heart of what it is to, to subdue the earth. Now, how do we do that? How do we subdue the world? We do it with the same love that God has for us. The same love that even when we messed up, God showed us how to to be back into a relationship with us, so much so that our lives were substituted with the life of another animal. When God killed an animal, shared the blood, and took the skin of that animal and clothed Adam and Eve. We tried to clothe ourselves with fig leaves and it wasn't good enough. So even though we messed up our relationship, God clothed us the end of Genesis 3. The way that we live has to be based on love. 1 Corinthians 13 speaks about what love looks like and what I want to encourage us to do each day this week. You can do it as as individuals, you can do it as a family, but what I want you to do is to read about what love looks like because when we live a life of love, that's when we start to subdue the enemy. We subdue the things that aren't of God. We subdue hate. We subdue envy. We subdue judgment. And we start to live a life of love. This week, our deep desire is as a family that we would start to put Christ in the very centre of our homes once again. Make sure that Christ is the very centre of our church because as a church, our vision is that we value families and we desire to reach communities beyond our own. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much in your word. You see that you love us all equally, 
that we are created equal, that we are created in your image to have a relationship with you, to care for the things that you've given us. Lord, I pray that this week as we we look at our families, as we, we look at what love looks like, that we would start to live a life of obedience once again that we would live lives that place you in the centre of our homes, in the centre of our church, in the centre of our our families, in the centre of our communities, and that we would be known by the way that we love so that people would know what is love and he who is love. Lord, I want to pray an extra blessing on those that are doing it tough at the moment, those that are single parents, those that are feeling isolated. Lord, I pray that they would feel your presence right now, And we pray an added blessing over them this week as they seek to raise their children, as they seek to connect with others outside of their home in a loving way. Amen.